the four o'clock football frenzy. Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The four o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. You know, it's weird, Candy, as things come back and things start to open up, uh, stuff that I normally would have yawned at that wasn't really big news, like, you know, details on bowl season, right? Been like, eh, no big deal. But since we were denied a lot of this last go-around, some of the stuff that college football is coming up with is kind of cool. We talked about the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl last week. That's where the Mountain West number one is going in L.A. Uh, Update now on the Holiday Bowl. Well, I don't know if you've been in San Diego or if you watch the videos. Uh, they, you know, they they destroyed Qualcomm, so they need they need a holiday bowl spot. They're going to do it at Petco, and they're going to have a capacity at Petco for a football game, fifty thousand. Which, believe me, if you've been to the gas lamp, that is a hell of a setting for a bowl game. Fifty thousand at Petco. I'm just trying yeah. to process that because that park's not really set up for that. But that'll <laughs> no, be impressive. No. Uh, yeah. God, God bless the Murph. Rest in peace, Murph. Yeah. Uh, 1998 World Series was a great experience. Not for you, San Diego, but it was for me. Um, and I think it'll be awesome to see the the downtown area in San Diego get a hold of that because obviously, as we know, San Diego State is traveling up to Carson uh, to play its yeah. home games right now. Like there aren't a lot of options in that area. Yeah, and their uh, their stadium that's coming looks spectacular. It's only configured for thirty five thousand, but it's going to be a multi use facility with residential and retail and it's you know it's just about the right size for college football down there um there was there's no reason to have a sixty-five thousand seat stadium for college football in san diego well no unfortunately as the chargers showed it is difficult to keep that stadium full at all times when you have you know the options of san diego so we've talked about this every day we're trying to figure it out hey this is exactly what tom brady wants we saw that quick teaser for uh hbo's the shop where Brady was saying, hey, towards the end of the process, you know, teams started to eliminate themselves. Tampa winds up getting them. And he made a statement about, uh, wait, they're going to keep that mother, whatever. And then it just starts laughing. Like he's frustrated that a team chose another quarterback over him. Colin Cowherd started breaking it down and Cowherd wants to get to an answer. So uh, he was going through some of the names that have been bounced around. Maybe Brady was ripping this guy. He was asked, you know, when it got down to it, those last two or three or four teams that you were interested in, uh, how did that go? So Tom wanted to go to a team. Who was he dogging? Now, let's just run through it. Many people think it's Garoppolo. It's not Garoppolo. Garoppolo just been to a Super Bowl. Okay. So then who is it? It's also not Derek Carr because Brady wasn't interested facing Patrick Mahomes twice a year with a Raiders bad roster. And he's not, you know, West Coast was always a challenge. And that got in the way for the Chargers, too. It was West Coast. Right, It felt like too far west, and they have a bad roster. First year in Vegas, Gruden. So Tom Brady liked three teams. This I know. Colin, please get to it. Who was it? Who is he dogging? It is a shot at Mitch Trubisky, who for the record is now a backup. So what Tom is saying as the GOAT to a now backup is a reasonable thing to say. So it is um, Trubisky. That's the answer. Okay. Very sure about himself. Do you believe Colin Cowherd on this? It seems very believable that uh, he would not dog on Carr. He would not rip Garoppolo. 
Uh, other people have said, hey, it was Ryan Tannehill. Um, to laugh as heartily as he did, it probably was Trubisky. The best part of the entire thing is that if this were someone other than Tom Brady, there's no way we'd be blowing it up like that. But we get so little out of Tom Brady that's actually interesting <laughs> that this becomes the mystery of our times. When the fact of the matter is, every quarterback we just mentioned is not half of Tom Brady. Like, at least doesn't have his accomplishments. The only thing that I'll argue with Colin is that saying that Jimmy G can't be the one because he'd just been to a Super Bowl, no. Kyle Shanahan the 49ers had just been to a Super Bowl. Jimmy Garoppolo was out there overthrowing receivers that could have won the game. So Tom Brady easily could have looked at that and said, oh, yeah, that guy, the one who was just firing balls 20 yards down uh, past his receivers, yeah, I'm better than him too. Coming up next, we're going to uh, check in with Mike McKenna. He's on the VGK broadcast team. I'm sure he's up in arms. He must be really upset that uh, the fans were booing the players last night, getting all over them, or we'll see. Maybe McKenna looks at it and goes, hey, this is a wake-up call, and sometimes you need that stinging reaction to kick it back into gear. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. Cofield and Company is on the road at the Nova Home Loan Studio. Back here on this Wednesday, let's recap what happened last night, what's happening in the series with the Golden Knights. Mike McKenna is on the broadcast. He's part of the uh, Golden Knights broadcast team. So, Mike, let's come out of the gates and just talk about the uh, the judgment of this game. I'm just reading a headline here. Canadians use youth experience to overwhelm the Golden Knights. Is that on point? I, I don't think that they're really relying on whether it's youth or their experience. I think they're just relying more on their systems and believing in the way that they play packing the middle of the ice, making sure that the Golden Knights don't get inside to create as many opportunities as they need to. And I think it really stems from the work that they've done on the penalty kill. I know there haven't been many in this series, but as stifling as the Canadians have been, they haven't allowed a goal on the PK the entire series through the first five games. That seems to filter through into the defensive belief that they have. And then when they need scoring, yes, that is where you'll really see the youth come into play. You've got Suzuki scoring, Caulfield uh, playing great hockey for the Canadians. They've been impressive. It felt like people were writing them off before the series, but they've been able to bring it when they absolutely need to. You played the game, so how you know mentally taxing does that? Uh, you know those challenges of just getting into good position. How mentally challenging does that become for a player? I think, but it's not. It's it's just a willingness, really, is what it comes down to. And sometimes, in the last two games, especially the Golden Knights have looked tentative, which is so rare for them. They've looked somewhat passive and. Uh, and in all honesty, somewhat fragile, which is shocking because they've been such a strong team all season long and being able to rally the troops. You talk about motivation. Well, really, that motivation comes from within. You don't need somebody to walk in the dressing room and scream at you and say, let's go and give you the bigger Brooks. All right. When you get to the National Hockey League level, you got to be able to do it on your own. And I think for the Golden Knights, that's something that they, they can rely on. They have been able to do that. For whatever reason, the past two games, it hasn't been there but if you flip it back even to game one of this series when they utterly dominated the canadians there is a reference point they just have to get back to that intensity that willingness to get to the hard areas that willingness to create penalties and skate hard check with your feet all those things that we hear head coach pete DeBoer say in his interviews 
Hey, you talk about uh, you know motivation and and you know maybe someone doesn't need to be in there screaming at them. The coach doesn't. Um, you know you would think, hey, Mark Stone can do it. He's the captain. But the problem is, Mark is kind of leading the way right now in not looking super confident. In terms of having the puck on a stick, yes, but you still look to the same people in the locker room. The locker room doesn't know whether some. I mean, they you know what the points are, okay? But you don't care if somebody hasn't scored four games because you know that that's your leader. You still have that gravity in the locker room. You still look up to them. It's not like Mark Stone hasn't scored in a couple games. We think less of him. He's still the leader, and all it takes is one spark. You know, it's not just Mark Stone. It's throughout the lineup of the leadership on the team. Alex Petrangelo, big voice. Martinez, big voice. Down the list of players. That's but you do look for that on the ice. You need your big guys to score when possible. Again, I think the whole route of everything, the power play that hasn't been clicking, if the Golden Knights can get off, I think you'd see them roll in game six. I think that confidence would filter through the team. And without question, Pacioretty, Stone, those are two key, two key important pieces to that power play. Yeah, I would think Stone, more than anyone, too, should be motivated when he watches the film and he knows what happened on the on the third goal. That seems to be happening too often where, it, it, listen, breakouts are one thing, but it's the second or third Canadian in who is often scoring the goal. And I don't want to sit here and question effort, but we're, I'm, I'm watching and I'm seeing guys kind of coasting behind the play and then a, you know, a Canadian player is in great position to finish off the play. What made that so shocking is it wasn't just Stone, it was Nick Holden too. And those yep. are two really responsible players that you just so very rarely see them lose interest on a play or maybe overthink it and over back check. It happened several times to the Golden Knights last game where it felt like they were so puck-focused and so intense on the puck rather than the overall scene that players got open. They didn't back check hard enough. They didn't communicate. That's one aspect that you all assignments. Where's the communication? And these are the types of things with confident hockey players. When you're confident, you're talking, you're communicating, you're in sync with your teammates. That has seemed off the past couple games. You can take lessons from Montreal. They're snapping it around in the power play. They look like they're confident. They look like they're having fun. Right now in the past two, the Golden Knights, they've looked up tight. They haven't looked confident. They've got to find that joy for playing again. Mike McKenna is with us here on Cofield and Company, part of the VGK broadcast team. I was listening to a lot of the radio call. I really enjoy the radio call. And Duva and especially Lawless, Gary was freaking going off in the third period. Uh, he pointed out, you know, down the stretch when the Knights were trying to get back in it, you know, right before they made it 3-1, uh, he was pointing out the fact that there was a little bit of panic. And when they were trying to get it into the zone, they were kind of skipping steps and it looked like they were afraid to dump it in. And he just, he screamed out at one point, he just said, baloney, like that, that they, you've got, as he put it, you got to build the foundation to get yourself set up to score goals. You can't skip steps. It's not just skipping steps. The problem is that Montreal's done so. The Knights haven't been able to penetrate into the offensive zone with the puck on their stick. You have to find ways to change it. If you can't do it the way you've always done it, you have to adapt. And that's part of it. Sometimes you just have to chuck the puck in deep. Even if that's not your game plan, even if it, during the regular season that hasn't been your strength, if it's not working, you have to try other things. You can't just stick to what you've done the whole time. There needs to be an air of creativity. So right now, it looks like the players are holding their sticks. They're thinking too much. Play the game. If you've got to get it deep, go ahead. Let your players skate. Flip it out. Let Stevenson skate. Let Tuck skate. Let those guys who've got those big motors go hound that puck. Go dig it out. Try to get it to the net. But right now, they are. They're missing what it takes. You have to have a resume before you get the job. And right now, yeah. there's a couple holes on the resume, it feels like. Mike McKenna is with us, uh, VGK broadcast team. So the, uh, the issue... Uh, persists with the forwards in terms of 
scoring. Uh, Pete DeBoer's, you know, he's going full professor here. He's trying different combinations. Looking forward, did you see anything that, that worked even in, in snippets in terms of trying to mix and match? Not really. It seemed like it was a lot of trying and a lot of hoping, and it's still kind of the same result. You know, I mean, we've seen good chances previously in games where the Gold Knights haven't been able to score. Is it the fault of the line combinations? Not as much. It's just whether a person's missing the net, whether a person can't get open and make that secondary play. That's a hard part to try to focus on. The big reason to shake up the lines is to just give a different look at the other team. You know, the Philip Deneau line for the Canadians has done such a good job of shutting down the top line for the Golden Knights, Stone and Pacioretty, whoever's played between them. They've been so good. If you can mix your lines up and give a different look to the other team, that's where you're trying to gain a little bit of an advantage. Saw it later when Pacioretty was out uh, playing minutes with the third line. Uh, that did was able to help generate the goal that the Golden Knights had last night. So things haven't worked for the Golden Knights. The forwards haven't been able to put the puck in the net. And a lot of that can be attributed to the Philip Dano line, who's done so well for the Canadians. They've been able to stifle Stone and Pacioretty. Mike, can you put in a perspective for American hockey fans and you know Las Vegas fans what this means for Montreal, what it means for the Canadians. I mean, this is a, a franchise you know steeped in history, and you can see the town's going crazy. Yeah, what's wild about it is I, I've spent so much time around hockey circles and going to school two hours from uh, Montreal. My alma mater, St. Lawrence, is right on the St. Lawrence Seaway in upstate New York, and having a lot of friends that live in Montreal currently. The ironic part is that there's such history, there's such pride, there's such passion, but the people of Montreal didn't believe in the Canadians <laughs> at all going into playoffs. They've doubted them. They, they, How is this happening? They continue to doubt their own team, and now they're on this magical mystery tour where suddenly they're on the precipice of playing for the Stanley Cup. It's been a long time coming. They haven't won a, a Stanley Cup since 1993. They're the most storage franchise in the NHL. Things have changed since then quite a bit. Salary cap comes in, but people are so passionate, and Canada just in general is so obviously important to our game. That's where two-thirds of the players come from. Um, I guess less than that at this point. Maybe we're down to 50 with Canada and U.S. being the influx, but they need something to cheer for. But I tell you what, I think a party in Vegas, if they win the Stanley Cup, oh. give me that any day over Montreal. I mean, I love poutine. I like my Canadian <laughs> friends. But, man, I'd love to see that shiny cup going right down the strip on Las Vegas Boulevard. I think that'd be even better. Well, I like that you said that Canadian fans, you know, even they didn't believe in what this team could do. VGK fans believe in this team, which takes yes. me back to one of the big topics on the show today has been the booing in the arena. Yes. I'm not a person who boos, but I got to tell you, I don't have an issue with, with uh, fans when they boo. And I'm getting a little tired of people in the market and especially outside of the market saying that we don't have the right to boo for some reason because it's a new franchise. I don't believe that. You pay your money, you go, and you expect to be entertained, and you expect the best effort. I'm not a booer either. That's not my thing. I think that for, especially being in the shoes of the players, like, it hurts. I wouldn't do that. But it hurts for a reason, because people are upset. When you're a player, you feel that. The fans in Vegas have gone from happy to be at the party, to the game, knowing when they're not seeing the output on the ice that they deserve from the money that they've paid and the expectations that have been placed upon the team by everybody. Ownership, management, players, their goals to win the Stanley Cup. And if they put the effort on the ice like they did last night, they're not going to win the Stanley Cup. And the people know that here now. And to me, that was actually as tough as that was for a Vegas player to hear most likely and how shocking it was out of that building. I love the passion because you have true dyed-in-the-wool hockey fans in Vegas now. It's not a frivolity. It's not this sideshow any longer. They want to win the Cup. The fans want to win the Cup. They're not just there to party. 
And and I thought that that was powerful. And I really hope that the players, they take that and they run with it and use it as motivation. Let's close on this. We always got to talk about the goalie situation, and it really wasn't a situation until Leonard got a chance a couple games back. I'm not going to get on Flurry for last night. I, you know, those, the, the the opportunities the Canadians had were great opportunities. What do you do if you're Pete DeBoer? Robin Leonard is very good, and Robin Leonard did have a good game a couple of games ago. So what do you do? Backs against the wall with a goalie. If there's anything Pete DeBoer's showing is that he's willing to make, he's willing to swing for the fences. That was a gutsy move to put Robin Leonard in the net for game four. Robin Leonard is an elite goaltender, and Pete DeBoer has two goalies that he can use at any time that he knows can win games. It just flies in the face of hockey tradition to start another goaltender. It's not normal. People think you ride your horse at all times. You just play the one goalie. And, you know, last year, Andre Vasilevsky was able to do that for the Tampa Bay Lightning. We've seen it previously with most teams. But when you have the amount of travel in this series going coast to coast, I mean, Montreal to Vegas is every bit of a, I don't know, four and a half hour flight, three time zones. That's hard on the body. All right, Mike. Good stuff. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. There he is, Mike McKenna, part of the VGK broadcast team. A lot more Golden Knights talk coming up, but Fat Pack is on the way. We've already stolen Hockey Town USA from Detroit here in Vegas, and now it seems like all Detroit has left is its pizza. The phone lines are open. Join the conversation on Cofield and Company now by calling 702-364-1100 or tweet us at Cofield and Co. Who better to talk about food than these two? It's the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company. Brought to you by Nova Home Loans. C'è la luna e mezzo mare, mamma mia, me mare da te. Piglia mia, cuttature, mamma mia, ti pensa tu. All right, important updates uh, on the Fat Pack today. Very important. We got another national holiday for food. We'll get to that in just a couple minutes. Um, I want to go back on Mike McKenna, the uh, conversation we just had. Uh, and I'll bring up a couple of points now, and then we'll get to more of them in the big five. Uh, we're talking about a guy who's on the broadcast team, Candy, played the game, and did not hesitate to critique what's been going on with the Golden Knights. Uh, actually said right now, there are Knights players out there who look tentative and fragile. Is it hard to argue with him? Uh, it, uh, how do you? How do you argue with what you've seen? And he backed it up later in the interview where he discussed the effort. He said it. He taught when you asked him about the fans and whether the fans should have the right to boo. One of the words that he mentioned in there was, if that's the effort that they're going to put out, then they should get booed. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about things that are completely within the control of the Golden Knights that are not being controlled. Yep. And I love what he said about the fans because it's what we were saying in the first hour. And I feel like there are so many people in this market who want to judge the fans, who want to denigrate fans, or people outside the market who want to rip on Vegas Golden Knights fans. You are the people who don't get it. It's you. Or you're, you're fragile and you get off on banging on fans. Again, Mike McKenna's part of the broadcast team. He played the game. 
he said last night in a lot of ways was, you know, a, another true arrival point for Vegas as a hockey city. You know, and I was just joking at the end of the interview saying, we've stolen hockey town, USA. Detroit got so embarrassed by its lack of success. We're like, we got to take this off the ice. So it's up for grabs. Let's grab it now. We are hockey town, USA. But, uh, you know, Mike said no longer are the fans just happy to be at the party. Uh, they can boo. They deserve to do what they want with the money they pay. And as you just pointed out, uh, if the Knights play with the effort they played with last night, they're not going to win the cup. And I also love that he said of the fans here, the fact that they got mad last night and they were booing, he said, I love the passion. Um, you know, the the sport, the team is not this frivolity anymore. There are true died in or die in the world fans in Las Vegas that it is a good hockey city and there are expectations. Think about it this way. Most expansion franchises come in and people get tired of losing. They just get tired of it. They get tired of watching the same bad team play for years and years and years. And the reckoning comes when people in the market, idiots like us, start saying, hey, you're going to win? Like, we're not just happy to have a team anymore. Are you ever going to win? Well, it's different here, but in a way, it's actually not because what hockey fans in Las Vegas have gotten used to is gut-wrenching losses. These have been losses where you feel like you have something on the line. This isn't playing a February game against the Oilers. This is the Stanley Cup semifinals. It's been the Stanley Cup finals. These are games that matter. These are games that hit you in the stomach. We have accelerated our growth curve here in Vegas. We haven't gone out and lost meaningless games. We've gone out and lost the most meaningful games. And those hurt more. So if you're booing right now, yeah, of course you're booing after three and a half years. Because over three and a half years, you lost to Washington in the final. You had the Sharks game where you got destroyed over the seventh game penalty. And then you've had losses in the last couple of years to teams that were not as good as you. Fat pack time. I did not know this day existed. And we trust Ari on his research on national food holidays. Okay. I mean, there's not a lot to root for right now coming out of Detroit. As I said, Hockey Town USA, that's gone. The Red Wings stink. Pistons got the number one pick, but they're still in a rebuild. Detroit does have uh, Detroit-style pizza, and they've actually got a – I mean, this is big pizza at its best. National Detroit-style pizza day. Can you latch on to this? Listen closely. Not just you, but everybody. Hold on, hold on. I think we need some kind of sounder. Listen closely. Listen closely. Ears to the radio. Okay, good, good. There you go, Steve. I like the fact that you have moved away from the microphone and you are in listening mode. Listen closely. That burned cake is not a pizza. That is not a pizza Ooh. in any way, shape, or form. That is something that should be used largely to pad hard floors because you could actually step on that stuff and it would be like, ooh, I got some Nike Airs because the damn thing is that thick and bready that it's not pizza. Uh, you want to enjoy it for whatever you think it is? Have a blast. That ain't pizza. Boo! Boo! Oh, I thought he didn't boo. I thought Steve Cofield didn't boo. I thought he wasn't one of those people. At sporting events. 
over pizza? Yeah. I'll freaking rain down the booze. You're what? What? Are you drunk? I am drunk on truth. <laughs> you, sir, have been hit with sobriety, uh, clarity. The fact okay. that Detroit pizza is trash. Let me give you the wiki description. Detroit style pizza is a rectangular pizza with thick crust that is crispy and chewy. It is traditionally topped with uh, tomato sauce, Wisconsin brick cheese that goes all the way to the edges. Uh, this is my favorite part in the description because I love the pan and I love that the edges get all crispy with that brick cheese right to the edge. This style of pizza is often baked in rectangular steel trays. Let me say it again. Baked in rectangular steel trays. Ready for this? This is so Detroit. Designed for... Am I setting myself up? Designed for... Use as automotive drip pans. It's absolutely perfect, though. It is because what you could catch in those drip pans is all of the combination of whatever they consider tomato sauce and grease coming off at the same time. It would almost be like getting an oil change. In fact, I've heard this is not confirmed. It's one of those life hack things. I've heard that if you are stuck on the road somewhere and your engine has run short on oil, if you have a Detroit-style pizza, you could just juice that thing right in there, and that's like 10W30. Uh, folks who haven't had it, and there are several places in town that have very good Detroit-style pizza, it's awesome. Candy doesn't know what he's talking about. It's the, it's the perfect jumping point uh, from uh, Thin Crust Pizza near Chicago Deep Dish, which we all know is trash, but it falls short of Chicago deep dish. So it's a, it's sort of a more uh, crusty, intensive Sicilian slice. It's perfect. You, you, you take the word Sicilian out of your mouth right now. <laughs> right now. <laughs> they already kicked you out of Jersey. You're going to be out of the whole tri-state area if you keep talking mess like this. Sicilian pizza is nothing like that Detroit mess. How dare you, sir? It's, 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 a, it's slightly thicker. It's like I said. It's more crust intensive. It's more about the crust. Uh, and it, it was made by be, your Nona. It can be. Well, mine didn't. My actually, my grandmother did. My, I, you know, I, I, I've said it before. My, my, my grandparents actually did own a pizza place uh, near the Jersey Shore, and that was her style of pizza. It was closer to Sicilian. Um, I didn't know about Detroit style back then, but I, I like Detroit style. So I'm Ain't in. Ain't no You're party out. like a Detroit party. <laughs> because a Detroit yeah. party don't stop. Exactly. Exactly. No, you, they don't know when to stop. That's the problem. They they should have stopped right before they put that pizza in the oven. Man, that got harsh. All right, Brian Blessing's on the way. Who knows if he's listening right now? Usually is. We'll see if he's got a take on Detroit-style pizza and especially a take on what's going on with the Golden Knights and kind of the, the boo-hoo from some of the people around the market. Uh, and I know Brian feels real strongly about the way the Knights are adjusting offensively, which uh, is to say they really haven't made the adjustments that are necessary. Get that mortgage tuned up right now. 877-700-NOVA is the number to call at Nova Home Loans. Petrangelo on the right with Martinez. Pass got blocked by Tifoli. Oh, Petrangelo, a diving play. But Suzuki's after the loose puck. He scores. Empty netter. Petrangelo made a diving play to try to hold the line. He went soaring onto the Montreal bench. But Suzuki first through, and Suzuki makes it 4-1 to one with a minute six to go in the third. It's Cofield and Company at the Nova Home Loan Studio. 
The Sting. I'm hearing the name Suzuki repeatedly, Candy. That doesn't feel good, does it? It doesn't feel good whatsoever. Let's get to Brian Blessing. Brian, what's up, buddy? Hey, Steve. How's it going, bud? Good, man. Swimmingly, as always. Uh, What's going on with you today? Well, the day after, just trying to figure out why the Golden Knights are so stubborn. I think you look at what happened last night and this entire series, and we talked about it before the game. And if you're watching the game, you're sitting there going, right out of the gate, dump the puck in and get it deep. This is a team that just packs it in and does nothing but come back at you in transition. And you could see it after three minutes. And, in fact, during the first period, they're playing right into Montreal's hands. And Brady McNabb sits down after the game and says, we played right into their hands. Well, yeah, but you, you had 55 minutes to realize it and dump the puck in and stop trying to skate through these guys. I don't understand why they're being so stubborn. Yep. I mean, and you saw, you know, the, the best example is the stone play where he turns it over. And you're, you're trying to, you know, work the puck through a freaking wall. And then, and then the worst part about it, and, you know, we've talked about it all day long because it's repeated. We keep seeing the action of breakouts where, you know, the Canadians are scoring goals and all of a sudden you see someone skating into the, uh, the shot. Um, you know, behind the play and stone on that play. I, I don't I don't know what he was doing. I'm sure he's completely pissed off, but it all starts, like you said, with the stubbornness of trying to do the same thing over and over and over again and skate it past the blue line. It was Groundhog Day. And, yeah, I mean, listen, uh, he's a captain. He's your leader. And on top of it, first of all, if you're the guy that makes the turnover, you should be coming back harder than anybody. Yeah. And he kind of double runners on coming back. Then you had the first goal. I hold it. I don't know what he just misread the situation. If, if he put his head down and skated, he gets to the puck and that puck goes into the corner. He was kind of floating coming back. It was there's mm-hmm. a lot of weird, odd things happening with this team. Montreal give them full marks. They look faster, Steve. But I think I think Vegas between the years, you know, there's this sense of belief of who they are, and yes, they are very good. But, you know, listen, you're in the semifinals. you got to bring your lunch pail to work. You can't be floating back. And honestly, I, I, I'm just – it's slash stubbornness, arrogance. I think if they dump the puck in, they'll be fine. You play a simplistic road game tomorrow night. But I think they're impatient, Steve. If you think about it, Vegas gets the majority of their chances off the faceoff in the offensive zone. Or it's the defensemen. We know the forwards are having all kinds of problems right now. But Vegas is pushing and pushing and pushing. And Montreal's just sitting there waiting for them to make a mistake. In a weird way, Vegas should just sit back and wait for their opportunity, be it a power play, which is not going well either, or getting a goal off a draw. But the fancy stuff will come if Montreal's behind and chasing the game. I think Vegas has this real sense of urgency and impatience, and they're shooting themselves in the foot. Brian Blessing with the Sports Grid Radio. He's on at 11 a.m. That's uh, Channel 204 Sirius XM. Um, just to finish up on the you know the stubbornness and, and changing the game plan, all right, whose responsibility is it? Like, what, when you're watching, do you think Pete DeBoer is telling him, you know, is he saying, hey, dump, dump it in, or is this the plan, and Pete hasn't changed yet? 
I mean, personally, you would think the coach would sit there and say, this isn't working, do this. Right. I mean, right. it was right there in front of you. I mean, it should have been the game plan, you know, from the drop of the puck. And it clearly wasn't working. And clearly Montreal was getting opportunities coming the other way. But time and time again, Smith must have turned it over three or four times at the blue line coming in. You know, it's like in basketball. You don't pull up your dribble right across half court. It's a trap situation. There are spots where you just don't make the same mistakes. They're egregious mistakes. And the worst place to turn the puck over, other than getting it out of your own zone when you have time, the worst place is at the blue line coming in because they will turn right around and come back at you with numbers. And that's what yep. Montreal's been doing since this playoff started, and they're playing that system to a team. If Vegas just dumps it in, get physical, work them down low, get the greasy, ugly goal, get the lead, then the fancy stuff. I, I mean, fancy is the wrong word. The ice will open up so that those passes you're making when you're coming in three on two at the blue line aren't stick checks to turn around and come the other way. Yeah, and they've gotten killed by the speed coming the other way and the, the size of a guy like Josh Anderson that's hurt him. Um, one more thing on DeBoer. And I haven't heard anyone bring this up. Maybe they have already. But, uh, you know, it really irked me, and it irked a lot of people years ago, and it might have been the final tipping point, when Gerard Gallant uh, said, you know, it's not my job to motivate him. And a lot of people are like, wait, what? It's not your job to motivate him. And, you know, Pete DeBoer got me going a little bit multiple times in the series when he's sitting there kind of lecturing people like, this isn't easy. It's a grind. Montreal's a good team. Yeah, we, we get it, Pete. We get it. We're not morons. All right? And, like, I... The excuses, and I cannot imagine that as that's acceptable upstairs to sit there and then start kind of pushing back on media and fans like, you just don't realize how hard this is. We get it. It's hard. Yeah, I mean, in the gamesmanship and all the nonsense, which is to me just a waste of breath, you know, the Colorado thing, oh, I don't even know why we showed up here, all the people right. that are talking to get I mean, I'm, I mean, I love Leonard. I love his brutal honesty. But, you know, back in the bubble last year, he talks about the Vegas media and, and all the, you know, how the, the pockets stirred here in Vegas. Are you kidding me? This is candy land. Yeah. Go, go to Toronto or Boston or Buffalo or New York, and you want to get the media dropping an anvil on you. I mean, this is literally a walk in the park. It's Primrose Lane. You know, Brian, I wanted to follow up on something you talked about with the, the idea of them dumping the puck in and just creating things with their forecheck. I mean, that, that this has been the identity of this team at its core right from the jump. And the other thing you mentioned, I thought, which is related, I don't know that people are talking about them together, is when they get that forecheck going, when they force Montreal to have to throw the puck down the ice and maybe take an icing, that's when they're winning the Ozone draws because that's when Deneau isn't out there. That's when Montreal is stuck with whoever is on the ice. So it feels like one leads to the other for the Golden Knights if they're doing things the way that they should be. Adam, how did they win game four? They dropped the puck in overtime. They got it deep. They cycled around for more than a minute, wore their defense out. Pacioretty came out with fresh legs, and they got down into the blue paint and jammed it in. At this time of year, you're not playing Anaheim. You're not playing San Jose. The fancy stuff doesn't work at this time of year. The only time it will work is if Montreal's chasing the game. But as tough as Montreal is to beat, if they get the lead, multiply that time three. Because there are no shot lanes. There's just nothing there. And if you try to 
you know, skate through these guys. By the way, if you go back to the Colorado series, Colorado made the same mistake against Vegas. They tried to skate through Vegas at the blue line. Vegas took the neutral zone away. Colorado finally woke up in game five. They dumped it in. They had the 2 nothing lead and then kind of vomited on their skates. But then in game six, they came here, played a good game, but they started to dump the puck in. I mean, what works in the regular season doesn't necessarily work now. And you've got to be adaptable. But it, listen, it comes down to lunch pal mentality, the greasy, ugly goal. But don't play into the other team's hands. With Again, it's like a slash stubbornness, arrogance. Yes, you've got all this skill and you've got all, all the ability that, that can do these things. But literally, you're letting Montreal dictate the way the game is being played. Play their, actually, play their game and be better at it. This team, you are a hybrid of size and speed here. You're the bigger team. Yet Montreal's the one who looks faster and does better work on the forecheck. So, that being said now, what we watched last night, Brian, I... I the thing that offended me the most as a fan was to see how lifeless the team looked for a couple of periods. And you talk about having that lunch pail mentality. Did you see the same thing? And and if you did, what can you attribute it to? Well, that's a great question. I mean, they come out of the gate crawling every game. It's hard to fathom. I mean, you know, I think both teams get the memo that face off is at six oh five, but <laughs> ready at six oh five, and Vegas takes a period and a half to get their legs and get going. It's a bizarre dynamic. They've been slow starters most of the playoffs, and then listen, we're dropping an anvil on them here now. The one thing they are is resilient. They're a good cornered rat. I would not discount their chances. I mean, if they do what they did last night, you know, it's Groundhog Day. The result will be the same. I think if they go up and play a smart road game and they were to win the game tomorrow, what they got to do is come home Thursday and play the same smart road game at home because I think they try to impress the fans too much. Brian Blessings with us. They certainly can win the series, and no one's giving up on them. That's the whole point, that expectations are high. Uh, people know this team is good. They potentially are the better team, but style-wise right now they're having a lot of difficulty. Brian, let's close on this one. Let's go back and look at – the U.S. Open, uh, Rom did it. You know, he was, uh, he was all vaccinated, uh, no issues with COVID this time around. Didn't get screwed out of his prize money. Came up big. Did you win on the tournament? How'd you do? Uh, actually, I did not. I had a couple of guys around Rom, and that leaderboard was unbelievable when they got to about the seventh hole. There were nine guys with a chance, and by the time you got to 15, it was down to two. And... The Shambo, I really thought, had a great chance to win it. He got a bad break. His foot slipped on the tee on 13, and he had a two-shot lead, and he double bogeyed a hole he should have birdied. But give Rom full marks. His putting was absolutely off the charts. And I think he won a lot of people over. You know, he's, he's kind of a temperamental kind of guy. The way he handled the disappointment of the Memorial when he was going to win that tournament, that's pretty doggone impressive to come back, you know, two weeks later win as the favorite and come from three back. I mean, very deserving winner. And now we get the British Open to look forward to, but that was a great tournament. Brian, great job. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, fellas. Yeah, we'll see if we're talking hockey. We will. No matter what, we're going to be talking some hockey. It might be a postmortem a couple of days removed. 
But we'll be talking hockey. Thanks, Brian. Have a good day, guys. There he is, Brian Blessing, Sirius XM 204. Excellent product as uh, Sports Grid Radio is on that channel. And Brian's a, a local legend when it comes to doing radio here and in Buffalo. Candy, Cofield, 5 o'clock hour on the way. We're going to cut out a little early tonight for NBA basketball as we're going to get you the uh, Bucks and the Hawks right here on ESPN Las Vegas. But before that, more on the Golden Knights, more about what they need to change, and more on accountability and no more excuses. The show never ends. Watch the Cofield and Company Late Night Pod tonight at 9 o'clock on YouTube or at Steve Cofield on Twitter. Live from the Nova Home Loan Studios, it's Cofield and Company. Eight seven 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 hundred Nova is the number here at Nova Home Loans. Uh, Dustin Hart was with us earlier. Make sure you listen for that conversation. A lot of good information. Uh, we talked about uh, fans here. You know, paying the prices that we pay here, and you know, if they're allowed to boo, that'll be a topic we hit again in this Big Five coming up in just a couple of seconds. Adam Candy's here. It's Cofield, Ari alongside. Also Angel helping us out on the road. Before we get to the Big Five, I do have to get to this silly breaking news. Ready for this one? I had no idea what was going on today. I see an uh, an email, or check that, a tweet from Jay Williams, who's on our morning show, our national morning show, and Jay Williams says, as it relates to the Boston Celtics tweet that came from my account a couple hours ago, I did not post that, and my passcode has now been changed. I was like, oh boy. The, uh, the Twitter hack can often be one that's, pretty obnoxious someone will send out something that is just you know ridiculous and over the top it, it could be whatever racist homophobic something you're like well, i didn't clearly a responsible dude like jay williams wouldn't have sent that now what was that did you see the tweet from earlier in the day in fact i did okay so nets assistant um adoka takes over the celtics as their head coach right Jay Williams tweets out first head coach of color for the Celtics. And even more importantly is one talented individual who has paid his dues. Jay Williams tweeted that. So immediately people start firing on him. You know, the, the Celtics have quite a history with African-American coaches, front office people, uh, you know, starting with Bill Russell, you can go to guys like doc rivers, most recently Casey Jones, there's others. Like, so it's clearly a weird tweet. Wait, so someone hacked Jay Williams to tweet that out? Does that seem weird to you? I saw a follow-up tweet. Someone goes, someone hacked Jay Williams' account just so they could frame Jay as not knowing Celtics history. The perfect crime. What's going on here? Don't we always talk about when we watch like law and order on TV, don't we talk about both opportunity and motive? Right. Okay. (laughs) So I'll give you opportunity. I'll give you that. Maybe Jay left his phone somewhere and, or, you know, someone had a dastardly plan to find his password and go on twitter.com and do this. Um, Motive. Who, who exactly is it that wants to make Jay Williams look bad in that particular way? Who, what, I'm sorry. Is there someone out there who wants Jay Williams to look like he doesn't know not only 
basketball history, black history, the Celtics history. I, this is a very elaborate plot. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five, number five. Let's uh, flip our script a little bit here before we get to the really important news and notes of the Big Five, which includes uh, a fast food menu note. Uh-oh. Man, I appreciate that dudes play the game and they're doing media work and they've got insight that maybe we don't have and, you know, old-timey stories that are great. This latest one from Scotty Pippen. Scotty Pippen talking about Kevin Durant said he's got to do some work to win a championship, uh, more championships and be on LeBron's level. Does he? I mean, are we using the MJ scale here? I'm assuming that's where Scotty's coming from. Right? Well, are, are we using the scale where he's got to win six championships? I mean, it was a little more nuanced than that. He said surpassing LeBron James takes a little bit more uh, than an individual effort. LeBron James is a complete team player who understands team and winning. Has Durant gotten to that level yet? Uh, he went home in the playoffs. I still think he has some learning to do in terms of what it takes to will a team to victory. He didn't do enough for the Nets. What magic was he supposed to pull to make Joe Harris start making shots? Was he supposed to go with the Mr. Miyagi, like rub the hands and get them all warm and put them on the hamstring for Harden and make it so that he was healthy again? Is is he supposed to make Jeff Green a better player? I don't understand exactly what it is that we're saying that Kevin Durant should have willed his team to do. He willed 48 points out of his hands to keep the team alive at one point. Like, what exactly more is Kevin Durant supposed to do? Like, and You want to criticize Kevin Durant for... The whole, oh, well, he goes and tries to find other teammates to to help do the job for him. Yeah, okay, you know what? I understood where that criticism came for. Quite honestly, I understood it before this series. And in this series, that crap has to go to bed because Kevin Durant had that team a lot closer to going into the Eastern Conference final than it deserved. And I don't want to make it personal when older players make commentary or make comments, give out commentary about the best players in the game today. Scotty Pippen was great, but he was a two option. Do I do this? Do I have to smear him again? Uh-oh. Like, if you're going to go after Kevin Durant, then, then you almost have to preface it by saying, listen, I wasn't like LeBron. I wilted in some big moments. Um, I had one of the worst moments in basketball history when I got pissed off. Michael Jordan wasn't around, and Tony Kukoc was going to take the big shot, and I told Phil Jackson I'm not going back into the game. Or... I had a lot of headaches at some of the most important times. Is that too harsh on Scottie Pippen? Should he be free to let some of his bad moments just, you know, disappear into the ether and then criticize a guy like Kevin Durant? I'm not here to talk about headaches. I'm not here to talk about anything other than when the chips were down, you sat your ass at the end of the bench and said, Tony freaking Kukoc can go out there and do it. And you know what he did? He did it. He went out there and he did it. He did what you weren't willing to do because you were pouting. And you know what Kevin Durant has never done? Kevin Durant has never sat at the end of the bench and pouted. So does Scottie Pippen deserve to be a top 50 NBA player in history? Absolutely he does on talent alone. But if you're going to put yourself out in the arena saying things like this about Kevin Durant, 
we are going to reach right back into the Kukoc file and stick that on the screen. Number four. Man, there's a lot of things coming out of this pandemic. A lot of uncertainties. I don't know what's going to be back. I don't know what's going away forever. It's a scary time, and it's an important time at fast food restaurants. Uh, Headline, this popular fast food menu deal is becoming extinct. Experts warn chains will likely end up losing significant percentage of customers. What is going on here, Candy? I got to... I didn't know this was coming in so early in the show at number four. I have to compose myself here for a second. Um, this Uh-oh. this was a hard story for me to send to you. This was a hard <laughs> story for me to read. Um, right. Because young, fat candy lived on the $5 combo meal. Um, yep. And this story claims that the $5 combo meal is going away. That we're not going to have it anymore. That the $5 combo meal is going to become the $10 combo meal. Which, by the way... Is not the five dollar combo meal. The thirty dollar combo meal, which listen, man, if I have thirty dollars in my pocket, you're not finding me a Taco Bell unless I am hammered in the passenger seat. Of course, uh, that is the only way you're finding me with that much money in my pocket in a fast food drive-through. The five dollar combo meal wasn't the only thing that got me through, Steve. Like we all remember fifty nine seventy nine ninety nine at Taco Bell, right? Co-field. Yes. Yes. Thank you. I need affirmation here. Someone's got to be my hype man while I'm doing this. So $59.79.99 at Taco Bell was like the sound of my high school years. When I had no money at all, when I was like, hmm, should I go get Taco Bell or put gas in the car? It was Taco Bell half the time because I go in for 59 cents and get tacos. So if the $5 combo meal is going away, we're really ripping at a piece of the fabric of this country. We are taking away something that has brought joy to so many. Uh, Believe it or not, in spite of my chubbiness, I'm actually not, and I never have been a giant combo meal person when it comes to fast food places. But now when I go, I do notice that most of the value plays are gone, and I'm sort of shocked by the prices. So I see it happening. I see it happening. I swear in this story, Candy, it says here, the $5 menus or the $5 combos are being phased out by major chains like uh, McDonald's, KFC. And according to NBC News, instead, customers uh, can expect to find a proliferation of combo meals ranging from 10 to $30. Wait, what? What's happening here? What? I understand what I'm saying? $30. If $30. I had $30 in the first place, I wouldn't be at your store. If Man. I had $30, I'd be getting a ribeye. And going home and grilling it myself, but you know what? I don't have thirty dollars. I have five thirty-five, which I'm hoping is going to cover the tax. So I'm thinking combo meal. Even though Steve Cofield does not appreciate the value, and you of all people, by the way, you yeah. of all people, not wanting an extra dollar off getting the large fries, the large drink, and the burger. Why do you just not enjoy all three items? Is that the problem? Correct. I'm not a I'm not a massive soda drinker, so I don't need it. Um, and actually, I most times I don't get. Here, here's the thing: I, I value meals are value, but I want even more value. So what I generally do is, if they have a value menu, I will get three of the smallest things on the value menu: no fries, no soda, and just be all parts. But I'm like, oh god, I got a lot of food there for four fourteen instead of five dollars. Yeah, I mean, there's really nothing like satisfying your hung- hunger and leaving your thirst just out to dry. <laughs> Number three. 
Uh, Ari wanted to have his input on the Golden Knights. You know, we've been exploding all day about the fans booing, uh, seeming a lack of effort at times on some of the goals, uh, some of the excuses that we're hearing, some of the attacks on the fans. Ari thought the most intriguing thing about last night's game was a Twitter poll that was put out on the Vegas Golden Knights account. I guess that was before things got kind of ugly. Uh, which pocket do you store your cell phone in? What? It's a good Ari, point. do you have an answer? Uh, I have my own uh, thoughts on this, but they chose... Ari, do you have an answer? Yes, they chose... Fr- my. Sorry, you're right. My Ari, answer, do you have an answer? answer? My answer is the back right pocket. As I am okay. right-handed, and that's where, and that's while I'm standing, by the way, because uh, this is an obvious question, because it doesn't belong anywhere on your person if you are sitting, if you ask me. There's nothing uh, worse front. than having... Nah. You want that thing jamming into your thigh while you're sitting? No. I don't like it. Yeah. Uh, front left, 25%. Front right, 44%. Back left, 8.8%. That's interesting. Uh, back right, 21.5%. Uh, women are involved in this. Um, do I get too graphic? I, I'm not putting it in the front on either side. I don't want it near my junk, and I don't want to have a phone banging into my junk, so I got kind of graphic there. Uh, the Obviously, the real answer is your bottom right pocket or your bottom left pocket. Cargo shorts, you dunces. Why would you have the phone anywhere near the front or in your rear where you're going to be sitting on it? Where if it's Ari, if Ari has to reach back to his back right or left, what does that mean, Candy? Another rib muscle gets torn. <laughs> it's obvious. That, like, he's not telling us that that's much... That's what happened in the first place. This whole injury in bed. No, he was reaching for his phone and he just jammed his hand back there too fast and pulled a rib muscle. But by the way, Ari, I I had no idea before this uh, before this revelation. I had no idea you were a teenage girl. I had no idea that you stored your phone in the back pocket of your skinny jeans. That's oh. really that's new information to me. I didn't know that. Uh, front right, by the way, is the appropriate answer. Um, really? Only because uh, everyone's right-handed. Co- Let's be honest. Well, here's the thing. Cofield, Mr. Humblebrag. Humblebrag. I, I can't store it in the front. Ooh. What's Steve Cofield watching now? Adam, did you... I wasn't... That's not what I was bragging about. It's a big phone. <laughs> ah, yo, sure. <laughs> it's a, yeah. Oh, he's holding God. the phone up to try to make the point. Big, oh, it's a big letters. phone. God, this thing, did you sit down? This thing jams into you as a guy? That's going to hurt. Well, it's better than it's better than Ari sitting down at the Jonas Brothers concert Listen. breaking his phone on the back of his shorts. Candy, <laughs> did you read did you read what I sent though? Which is that there was no option for cargo. Sorry, Steve. So you're gonna have to pick one of these. So pick one. Uh oh. Uh oh. I would Uh-oh. I would probably Somewhere. I would probably go back left. Because I am I, I am ambidextrous, so I could operate with the left. Oh. His ego operate is bruised. That? That's not his ribs. That's his ego bruised. Do you, <laughs> you, you hear Ari getting a little angry that you're not playing <laughs> along with the pole? Come on. Oh, Ari's not happy. This, this is my oh, big God, moment. The ribs. Oh, the ribs. The ribs. Oh, God, I'm out for weeks. Call Jared. <laughs> Call Jared. <laughs> Should I do that, Steve? You want You want Jared to fill in for me? Number two. I respect the fans' right to boo last night. We'll get to that. I think people criticizing the fans, you don't get it. 
I will say though, if you're coming unraveled at the fact that Caulfield, Cole Caulfield, and Nick Suzuki and Kotkin Yemi are doing a lot of damage, and you're thinking, and especially Suzuki, eh, these old guys for the Knights, maybe we're in trouble. Where are the young contributors to the Knights? Pump the brakes a little bit, right, Candy? I mean, it's a good story that's unfolding here for the for the uh, Canadians. And last night they had big contributions from a you know a pair of guys who were twenty or younger in, in Caulfield and Kotkaniemi. And um, what was the note that they became the six teammates twenty or younger to score uh, to both score in the Stanley Cup semifinal game and the first since Sidney Crosby and Jordan Stahl for the Penguins back in two thousand eight. But uh, let's not revise history, especially with Suzuki. Pacioretty has been. Very good. They didn't sell the farm or sell their soul to win now. And, you know, they're not going to pay a price for years because they did so. Look, Max Pacioretty has played 185 games for the Vegas Golden Knights in the regular season. And in that time, uh, Max Pacioretty has 157 points. He's almost on a point a game pace, <laughs> which all of you deeply knowledge hockey fans I'm sure would acknowledge is usually the standard if you got a guy who is scoring a point a game you've got a guy capital G so this trade worked for everyone that's how it goes you want to win now you want to be fourth year in your third semifinal then you go get Max Pacioretty other teams sit around and wait for the Suzuki's of the world to mature but also by the way are are you enjoying watching Shea Theodore? Are you enjoying watching Alex Tuck? Are you enjoying watching Nick Waugh? Because this is your young core. These are your guys who are going to make up this team. I know Cody Glass hasn't really found it yet. Were you enjoying Peyton Krebs? Were we all talking about Peyton Krebs as the guy who was going to come up and light up this roster in the playoffs had he not ended up with a broken jaw? Peyton Krebs is your Cole Caulfield. It just didn't work out for the Golden Knights that way. Trust me. This team has plenty in the cupboard for years to come. Number two. All right, it's accountability time, right? They're down 3-2. It's go time. The We've covered the, the whole fans booing thing. Listen, you're just you're wrong if you think fans shouldn't boo. Um, these fans deserve to do whatever they want. I think the players will react. I hope the players don't, you know, Leonard mentions it, and I think Leonard, there's a whole different set of circumstances because of the mental health issues. Um, I, you know, looking back on it, I really don't like that Leonard um, did sort of say, you know, not screw off to the fans, but I, to me, anytime, if you love the environment and you love having all these people show up for all your games, right? And they love selling out like that. And, you know, all the way up to the top, Bill Foley loves being able to charge prices that are, you know, crazy high when it comes to hockey prices in the USA. And sadly, there are a lot of season ticket holders, Candy, you know some of them, who... They have season tickets. They're actually priced out of the playoffs because they're like, I just can't afford this. I had a budget. This is what the prices were. This is what, you know, I, I I can't do it. If you enjoy this whole frenzied atmosphere of the fans being there, then there are high standards that come with that. And I just, I'm not enjoying the excuses. And I tell you, I thought he did it well. And I wonder how it's going to be received. I thought Ed Graney wrote a really good column today, our morning host right here on ESPN Las Vegas. And, you know, while he... He went after Mark Stone fairly. He closed it out by saying, hey, there's still time. The guy's a great player. He can get it done. We got to go back to last night's highlight on the goal where Stone had the turnover and listen to what Sportsnet had to say. And we can break this down. Um, you know, if, if you're the captain, you're a leader, this can't happen. 
Perry to Caulfield, and that back pass intercepted by Stone. With Chandler Stevenson turns it over. It's a breakaway. Corey Perry's in. Here's Perry across. Scores! Cole Caulfield. Power play goal. I mean, just craziness, right? You got 1,000-year-old Corey Perry getting out in front, and then you got two players working their nads off to get to Corey Perry, and then all of a sudden, Caulfield skates in wide open and you still see stone kind of there was a moment stone is standing and his his arms are down and he's just kind of coasting there can't happen give me the second part one against three here this is just an inexcusable play how about perry he doesn't have much left in the tank there but he knows he's got some support and cole caulfield has showed one thing he can release the puck there's a little talk on the bench some reaction caulfield gets lost and that's on his sticking off. There's no chance for Flurry to get across and get that one. Nailed it. Flurry had no chance. And come on, Candy, by this point, if you see Cole Caulfield of the Canadians busting his ass to get down the ice, you can't take it lightly. This team had no room to take anything lightly last night. And I'm not saying they took it lightly in those words, but how could you watch that play? by Mark Stone and feel like it was anything other than the symbol of the entire evening for the Golden Knights. Uh, those first two periods, that team was lifeless and it had no energy. And that is inexcusable in that game. And when the fans started booing, I thought to myself, congratulations, you are now a real grown-up fan base because you are holding your team accountable for their shortcoming. And the shortcoming wasn't the fact that they were down the game. The shortcoming was the fact that the effort wasn't there. So if we're going to talk about Mark Stone, if we're going to talk about the guy who's the first captain in the history of the franchise, who rightfully is the first captain in the history of the franchise, he's clearly the player that everyone in that locker room rallies around. He is clearly the guy who sets the tone for them. Then you have to be shocked when you see a play like that. I'm not ready to indict Mark Stone and say that anything in this whole thing is his fault. But in hockey, more than in any other sport, we look at the captain. That C means everything in hockey. There's a reason Gerard Gallant didn't give it out. That C means everything. And if you want to wear it in hockey, then this is what comes along with it. Number one. No doubt as we continue on number one here. Captain is serious. That's why Ari is our captain. Candy awarded him with the with the C a while back. Yep. Ari looked shocked. He didn't he didn't realize he was the captain. No, he thought he still had the A on his chest. I thought the C stood for something else. <laughs> yes, yeah, that was good. That's a good line. Maybe we should just close the show three minutes early. Before I mess I don't it know, up, I can top that one. Yes, yes. Often that C does mean, does mean. Something else. So I, I hope in you know their trip up to Montreal that uh, the Golden Knights have you know kind of processed what happened last night. I really hope that the pushback on the fans, the frustration of getting booed, the notion that people here believe it's easy to win games. I to me that that stuff all needs to be pushed that aside. Uh, but that said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's good. Pete DeBoer, 
Dave Shane had the quote, Pete DeBoer and his goalie for game six. Quote, I have decided I'm just not letting you guys know. All right. We get it, Pete. We get it. And we don't need to know. And actually, in this case, it is some gamesmanship because there is a style difference between Flurry and Leonard and the Canadians don't need to have any, you know, uh, advanced notice of who they're playing against. So I get it. But put all this all this stuff that, that they could be concerned about on the outside, worry about what's going on on the inside. Right? That's how you fix it. Look, we get it. We're not the ones who are inside the locker room with Pete DeBoer. He doesn't have to tell us anything. But accountability starts with telling us what the hell that was last night. Because that was not what the fans deserve. Hawks, Bucks on the way. Thanks to Nova Home Loans for housing the show today. Make sure you give them a call. Get that mortgage tune-up. Tell them Cofield and Company sent you 877-700-NOVA-NBA on the way.